Good morning. You know, um, it's been a tough week to get here today. And it's not just tough because life is tough. I was talking to my friend right before the message. It's because the topic that we're going to talk about today is extremely tough. It sounds so easy to talk about. But I know if you're here today and if I know that, are you outside? Let's hear you. (laughs) That's the best part of church. And thanks for joining us online. We've got a great fellowship online as well, and you are part of this family. But today is a very tough topic, and I know that the Spirit has really tried to derail me from where I'm supposed to go today, and so I'm trying to get away from it all, so I'm trying to get away from my notes, I'm just trying to speak from my heart, and I hope you guys know my heart is for you. And so today, we're going to talk about honesty. It's a key element to getting close to God. And for me, it's the beginning. It's the zero step if you're a 12-stepper. It's the beginning foundation to get to a place where you and I can know God, understand God, and ultimately grow and be, like Jeremy would say, a world changer. But I have to become honest with myself and God. We're going to this sermon series since, the, since Easter. I can't even believe we could say Easter. It's been such a long time. And it's called Elements. And you've got these elements on the stage. And the idea of elements, they're spiritual practices that draw us, that bring us, that grow us closer to God. Last week, Jeremy talked about the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit has ministered to me just to get me on stage this week. Because I know this, that if you're like me, we have a lot of work to do in honesty. The the life I have today, I wouldn't be up here if I didn't have a revelation of honesty in my heart. And so I just want you to think for a second, God brought you here for a reason today. And if you're new, welcome. If you're and you're new, welcome. If you're outside and this is your first time, or if you're a lifer and you've been here for 10, 11, or 12 years, God wants to minister to our heart. Because the Bible says the heart is corrupt and it's wicked, and we need to bring this to a place of honesty. You know, I don't know if you guys all know my story, but I know some of you do, but I was locked up over 20 years ago. And in this moment... I had this radical moment. So I don't know if you've ever been locked up, but here's the thing. Everybody's innocent. Everybody. Everybody's innocent. But what happens is they're so innocent, they go to court and they say, I'm never going to go and I'm going to fight till the end. And then they accept a five or ten year thing. And I'm like, if you're innocent, why would you accept that? And about six months, and I'm in the same boat, trust me. I'm not acting like I was not saying the same thing because some of the charges I thought were false or not necessarily what I had done. And so at some point, about six months of fighting cases, trying to get out of jail, I had this revelation. And I would say an epiphany. I had something kind of pop in my head. I didn't really know that today I know it was a revelation from God just kind of pinpointing me down and saying, Jeff, why are you in here? And then the second part is, what have you done to be in here? And all of a sudden, 
I realized maybe I wasn't, uh, maybe I didn't do all the things that they said in this one case that I was fighting, but I knew that I did a lot worse. And that I was guilty of a lot worse things and just being a sinner itself. And from that moment on, I realized that I have to be honest with myself. And instantly, my heart changed, and all of a sudden, the ministry was me starting to tell my truth, which was, hey, we're all guilty. We all have committed crimes. If you're not guilty of this one, we've done other things. And so I had to be honest, and this is hard for me to say. I was a criminal. So if you want to sneak out, I'll turn my back because you're like, what, the guy criminal on stage? <laughs> but from that moment on, the foundation of my walk with Jesus Christ began. And so I, I, don't, I don't want anybody to have hidden, hidden, hidden secrets of what is he talking about. So let me give you this quote. This guy's named Fred Rogers. Maybe you know of him. Here's what he says. Honesty is very hard. Truth is often painful. But the freedom it can bring, it's worth trying. Mr. Rogers says it. This guy was brilliant. And if you look at the quote, let me read it again. I want you to think about what it says because this is the core of the message. Honesty's very hard. Extremely hard. And telling the truth, man, you know how hard it has been to come to someone and tell the painful truth of what I've done and what has happened? But at the very end, it says there's so much freedom it can bring to your life that it's worth trying for. So that's the message today. You know, my first year in Camarillo is about a year, year and a half after um, this revelation where I needed to be honest. I, I needed to get a job. Anybody need a job? We don't have one, but we'll pray for you. Um, I needed to get a job. And I was needed money, and I was trying to grow up, and I was trying to move out of mom and dad's house. And, and I'm like, I'm just going to go get a waiter job. I have a ton of restaurant experience. And I'm like, the easiest thing for me to do is get like a 10 or 15, 20-hour-a-week job, waiting tables, make some money. So I can just get out of, my, out of the way and just have some money so that I could live the life that I wanted to. So from Westlake to Ventura, I started pummeling the place with applications. But here's the thing, before I did my first application and I came to this place that says, have you ever committed any crimes or felonies? And I'm like, oh, I forgot that's on here. And so, you know what I did? I was honest. And then it says, so what did you do? I'm like, you really want to know? <laughs> so I listed like numbers, you know. All these numbers, these codes, maybe they wouldn't look it up. <laughs> but I never got a call back, so they must have. So for two months, I'm honestly putting these applications in and putting stuff on there about stolen property and intent to sale and all this stuff that was not good. And nobody would call me back. Why? Like, dude, do you not know how valuable I am? 
And so finally, one day, I'm just to the point where I need a job desperately. You know, my 76 card is overbalanced, and I can't use it anymore, and it's under my dad's name. And if you ever borrow money from him, it's like you never want to do that. So, so here's what happened. I go to Red Lobster. Any Red Lobster fans in the house? Can I get an amen for the cheddar biscuit? If you're online, Red Lobster, we love that cheddar biscuit right now. So I go to Red Lobster, and here's what I do. I come to that section, and I decide, hey, I'm not going to fill it out. I'm just going to leave it blank, right? So let, let me move on to the story. So I fill it in. I go, to the, I go to the manager. I shake his hand. I look well presented, and my name's Jeff. Here's my application. I get out. I get into my car. Before I'm even out of the parking lot, I get a call. Hey, can you come Friday, and we're going to do an interview, and we'll start the orientation. Because I had a lot of experience in the restaurant industry. And so I hang up the phone, and I'm like, yes, I got a job. Thank you. And they, they were doing the interview, but also going to set me up because I had plenty of experience. And by the time I got about a mile away, God's like, you didn't put anything on about your felonies. So again, I had to come to this point, am I going to be honest or am I going to be dishonest? And you know what I did? I called the guy back and I said, you know what, I'm not coming Friday, I'm not going to take the job. I didn't even let them talk me into it. I said, I have felonies on my record, I failed to put it on there, and I don't think I deserve this job. And I didn't, I just hung up the phone. Paul writes, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 21, he says, For we are taking great care of to do, we are taking great care to do what is right, not only before the Lord, but also before man. And I had to come to this decision. Am I going to be an honest person or I'm going to be mostly honest? Am I going to be completely honest or am I going to let my money and my life and my desires and needs take over? And so dishonesty is the foundation of my walk with Jesus Christ. Today I want to ask you the question, what's the purpose of being honest? Hopefully we'll understand that by the end. And why do I need to be honest before God and man? What happens if it's just God? The God we serve, the God you and I love, the God that we were singing about, the honey and the rock that we have from Christ, the God that we have is a God of integrity. And the Bible says, and here's an address if you need, Hebrews chapter 6, verse 18, the God that we serve says it's impossible to, for him to lie. It's impossible. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 18, and I'm paraphrasing because it's a big, long sentence. The God that we serve, Jesus says, the God that we serve, bring us a spirit of truth. John chapter 14, verse 17, look it up. He brings us to a spirit of truth. And then a couple chapters later, John chapter 16, verse uh, 13 says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you to all truth. And so you're here today so that God can guide you to this truth. So let me talk a little bit about truth, integrity, and honesty, because I think that's the core message here. And this is not my quote. This comes from a guy. He wrote the book, uh, One Minute Father. He wrote a couple kids' books. His name's Spencer Johnson. And here's what he says. Integrity is being truthful to myself. That's what happened to me when I was locked up. I had to be truthful. Man, I'm guilty. But here's the thing. Honesty is being truthful to other people. And the two go hand in hand. If I'm truthful to myself, that's a great start. But the honesty part really is the one that gets me to that place 
of, of, of really growing and understanding. If this world had integrity and honesty, if we all had integrity and honesty, how great would this world be? But on the flip side, you see there's darkness in this world. Even in Camarillo, we have something horrific that happened down the street. And the world is hurting and it needs love, but it starts with me being honest with myself going, am I really that love agent? Am I really filled in the spirit? Am I really following Christ? Is Christ my everything? And if he is, then I have the ability to be honest with God and other people to experience God and, and give him away. So Holy Spirit, dwell in us right now. As we open up the book, your book, as we dig into your words, I know it's been a fight for some to get here. I know this is a tough topic, and I know you're anointing this communion, and you're anointing these words so that we can break free of dishonesty. Lord, use this story today to bring us freedom. Help us to be truthful. And live an honest life with you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Here's my key phrase today. Honesty will bring great freedom. Acts chapter 5. There's a story. It's not necessarily a good story. So hopefully you are ready for the story that God has for us today. Here's what it says. But there was a certain man named Ananias who was with his wife, Sapphira, sold some property. And I'm just going to stop right there. I want to kind of backfill what's happening. So in chapter 5, the church is growing. Last week, Jeremy was at chapter 3 talking about the Holy Spirit and kind of making us world changers. But now, a couple chapters later, we're a little bit farther down in the history of the church, the Acts of the Apostle or the Acts of the Holy Spirit we see in the book. Now we're a little bit down the road, and what's happening is amazing things are happening within the congregation. And so we have to go back to chapter 4 to understand what's happening in chapter 5. And here's the thing. In the, in the 1500s, late 1500s, we put notations in maybe 1600 and, and chapters. So this is just reading it. So we go back to chapter 4, and here's what it says. All the believers were united in heart and mind. This is Acts chapter 4, verse 32. They felt that what they owned was not their own, and they shared everything that they had. Man, they were just in one accord. They were unified. The apostles testified powerfully about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and God's blessing upon them all. It's like the first week of our Element series. We celebrated the resurrection, and we should be celebrating that resurrection every day. And so that's what the apostles did. They just celebrated every day. Jesus lives now. Verse 34, there was no needy people among them because they owned, because those who owned land and houses would sell them and bring money to the apostles to give to those in need. The church was to get together. Yesterday at the middle of the men's group, at the end, I guess, there was a need in the family and a family needed some help at their house and a group of six guys came over, took care of one of their biggest burdens and their life has changed and they're glorifying God today because God showed up through six men that were at that, that breakfast yesterday. So the church is in uh, on fire, and here's what it says, and this kind of sets it up for what happens with Ananias and Sapphira. It says, for instance, there was Joseph, 
One of the apostles nicknamed uh, Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. I remember giving a message like this, and I, I, I talked about Barnabas, and the whole time I called him Barabbas, the evil one. And my friend Sue came up to me. It was many years ago. It's like, it's Barnabas, not Barabbas. He's the bad guy. So thanks, Sue, for the correction. One evil guy, one son of encouragement. And I just thought that was important. And so it says... He was from the tribe of Levi, so he was a devout Christian, part of the priestly ministry, and he came from the island of Cyprus. He sold a field he owned and brought the money to the apostles. And so here's what's happening. The church is on fire. They're united. Their only focus is the resurrection of Jesus Christ and nothing else. They didn't care about money. They didn't care about what they wore. They didn't care about, you know, how they looked. They said, hey, I don't have anything. All I have is Christ. And they shared everything. So we're going to start that today. So everybody bring your checkbooks and your wallets and just lay them out here. We laugh, but that's what's, what's really happening. I mean, think about it. Think about putting your paycheck or your account right here and let the church take it. And you're like, you're going to let that person take some of my money? But that's what's happening. There's a guy named D.L. Moody in the 50s and 40s and 60s. He just was a powerful house, a powerhouse man in the, in the Chicago area. And he said this, I've never known the spirit of God to work where the people are divided, where the Lord's people are divided. And we are working hard at this church, preaching the gospel above all the peripherals in this world. And it's not easy. It's not easy because there's a lot of things that we should be talking about or people want us to be talking about. But the truth is, all we have done is opened up the text even more and dug in deeper to the, 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 the gospel because we believe that God is bigger than any problem that we have on this earth. And so some people leave and some people stay because they know this is the honey that God is going to speak into our life. So here's what verse 2 says. He brought part of the money. So these, this couple sold their piece of property. So think about your house. They've sold it. So it's probably pretty valuable. They brought the, uh, part of the money to the apostles claiming it was the full amount. With his wife's consent, he kept the rest of the money. So they basically said, oh, yeah, we sold it for, uh, uh, you know, 600000 They actually sold it for one2 because that's where the housing market is right now. But I'm going to give you a portion and say, yeah, we sold it, and here's the actual full amount of the money. Here's the thing. They wanted the great image of generosity. They wanted what Barnabas had. They wanted to be the son of encouragement. It's like, do you realize what they did? He actually got put on stage and they praised Barnabas. Hey, thanks so much for your big check. And they're like, well, I want to do that. I want to be on stage next week. And so they gave some money. And said, we're sacrificially giving, but really there was no great sacrifice because they kept a portion for themselves. They were focused on their image and not focused on the community. And it needed to be dealt with. With one act of sin, with one act of disobedience, with one act, you start to see all the sin that unfolds. So let me just give you a list really quick about the sin of Ananias. He's deceiving God. He's deceiving the church. Not a good idea. By the way, not a good idea. Deceiving God and the church, 
The church maybe, but God doesn't make any sense. That's number one. The second, what's fraud? Uh, anybody like anybody that does fraud? No, we hate fraud in this country. Nice, innocent people putting their accounts and their savings into that. We crucify people with fraud. Vanity, greed, lack of faith, pride. Pride. A lot of pride in here. Hypocrisy, and ultimately, they were corrupting a community that was on fire. There was no needs. There was no lack. There was, there was no issue because everybody was focused on the resurrection. What a powerful place to be. And then Peter said, verse 3, back to chapter 5, Ananias, why have you let Satan fill your heart? You have lied to the Holy Spirit, and you have kept some of the money for yourself. The property was yours to sell or not sell. It was yours. He says, as you wish. And after selling it, the money was also yours to give away or not to give away. How could you do such a thing as this, like this? You weren't lying to us. You're not lying to the church. You're not lying to an apostle. You're not lying to the pastor. You're lying to who? This actual text, let me jump over here. This actual text is called a proof text. It's a proof text about the Holy Spirit being a different entity. Because you see that in the beginning part of the text, that the Holy Spirit has its own job. And that God is in the Holy Spirit. And God is the Holy Spirit and there are two parts. A part with Jesus that brings us the Trinity. This is called a proof text if you're a theologian. It's proving that the Holy Spirit is an entity of God and it's his own entity and that God is a part of this. What's happening here is what we call a word of knowledge. Peter is receiving something from heaven about this guy saying, hey, this guy's corrupt. Something's wrong. The body, because everybody was unified, he was getting this word from God, and it's this word of knowledge that comes from heaven. We get those things. In chapter, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it talks about uh, the spiritual gifts and being of one body. And in that, it talks about a couple of gifts. And here's what it says. 1 Corinthians 12, 8. To one, there is given uh, through the, uh, one is given through the spirit of a message of wisdom. And so this first one is called discernment. There's a gift that you get and you can discern. You have wisdom and go, I don't know. I don't know if we should give right now. I don't know if we should do this. And there's this discernment that you have to make and say, oh, we probably shouldn't do that. Or yes, we should. And so it's wisdom from above. To another, a message of knowledge by the means of the same spirit. This is just called something that God gives you. And so Peter, being close and connected to God with the Holy Spirit, just like Jeremy talked about, was filled with this spirit and he was going to change the world and he receives this message from above and he speaks right to this man's heart. You know, uh, on Friday, one of our, uh, I was at a life celebration of Linda. She came to this church for about a year and she passed away recently. And I gave this message, and I shared a little bit of my testimony, and my friend, he's my new friend, I just met him, he's, and he came outside, and we were talking, and all of a sudden, you could tell this man was hearing the voice of God, and you know what, it was through me, and all it was, was God was speaking words to me, and through me, into this man's heart, and those words came from him, and you could tell visibly at one point that he's like, man, this is God. And I told him a couple times, this ain't me, brother. This is God. And that's what's happening here. 
Now, Ananias must have been shocked. He's probably thinking, oh, here comes Peter. Next Sunday, I'm going to be on stage and everybody's going to praise me. But he's shocked because he's getting a different word. He's thinking, boy, buddy, thanks for the 600 grand. But instead, the Holy Spirit comes and reveals to him, hey, you're lying. He's been found out. You know, as sinners, we're not afraid of the sin. Most of us that struggle with sin, I'm like, I'm not really worried about sin. You know what I'm afraid of? It's being found out. That's the bigger fear. The sin, ah, I don't care what I'm watching on my phone or what I'm doing at night or how I'm doing my taxes or who I'm flirting with at work. But being found out, that's what we're afraid of. That's called honesty. Our greatest fear as Christians today is being found out. We tend to come to church playing a role. I've got it all together. Got this cool shirt on, kicks, my holy jeans. I've got it all together and I'm playing this role. And what happens is, as I'm playing this role, we tend to exaggerate our spiritual activities and our accomplishments and what the week looked like and how great it was and how I was out there doing the, the Lord's work. And the truth is, all I'm trying to do is impress humans and not impress God. God sees what you did, good or bad. And the Holy Spirit is ministering to us right now. Do you feel that? He sees us. David Guzik, he's a writer of a commentary, something that I read, says this. It's too easy to be happy with the image of spirituality without the reality of spirituality. Get a little bit of a haircut. Nice outfit. And have an image versus a reality. And that's what we see here. Image versus reality. Verse 5, as soon as Ananias heard these words, he fell to the floor and died. Don't die right now, please. Wait a few minutes. Everyone who heard this was terrified. And then some men got up, wrapped him in a sheet, and took him out and buried him. Listen. If I came to church my first 12, 15 years, and, the, and, and, and if people died because they were a liar, I would have been dead many years ago. Because honesty is something you have to work on every day. I came into this church, and I came into ministry, and I came into Camarillo as a liar, cheat, and a thief, literally. And I have to work every day to walk away from that path. And hopefully you see something different. But realize this. Just know this. That I have work to do. I'd love to tell you that I'm 100% honest and have integrity every day of my life. But even if I have 99%, out of a thousand times of, 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 of integrity and honesty, that means 10 times I'm a liar. Doesn't seem like a lot. But it is. Now, Peter didn't pronounce a death sentence. Oh, you're a liar. Fire and brimstone, you're a liar. In the name of Jesus, drop dead right before me. That's not what happened here. What happened was he simply confronted him with a word of knowledge from above, and Ananias fell down dead. That's what the text says. The church isn't in the business. This isn't my job to call out your sin. 
You know what my job is? To call out my sin. And to be obedient myself. And to walk a right walk with God my own way. Through his text. That's my job. And then I'm to come up here and go, this is what God has done to me. This is how I'm trying to live an honest life. That's my responsibility. On the flip side, as you're staring out looking at me, you need to go, I need to do the same. This was called an act of God. You know that your insurance has an insurance provision called the act of God? Something happens and it's kind of freakish and they're like, wow, it's an act of God. And they check it off and you get the money. Because that's what happens. And that's what happened here. The Holy Spirit, God, all of this was an act of God. We don't know exactly why he died. We just know that God and the Holy Spirit and Jesus were together unified. And because of this man and what he was doing, he fell straight to the ground. But we know this. And here's what you need to know about this message. That God didn't want corruption in this community. Because the community was focused. There wasn't greed. There wasn't pride. There wasn't evil. There was a group of people. And what Jeremy said last week is there were thousands daily coming to know Jesus. By the end, it could have been 50 or 100,000 living in this commune. There were thousands coming every day. We can barely get hundreds to come to church one day a week. There were thousands. And God didn't want to corrupt this. Because this, fo- this community was focused on one thing. That one thing was the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And not only that, that he's coming back. And so we need to be honest, Jesus is coming back. And our job is to get right with God so that when he does come back, there can be a harvest here. Moody says, there's never been an act of the spirit where people are divided. Let's unify today. Let's make this a marker in our life and say, today we're going to unify around the resurrection because he's coming back. Verse 7, about three hours later, his wife came in. Not good. Not knowing what had happened, Peter asked her, Was this the price you and your husband received for this land? A good wife, an Ephesians wife, submitting to her husband? What did she say? Yes, that's the price. Peter said, how could the two of you even think of conspiring and to test the spirit of the Lord like this? The young men who who buried your husband are just outside the door, and now he knows. They're going to carry you too. Instantly, she fell to the floor and died. And when the young men came in and saw that she was dead, they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Thank God the spirit doesn't do that anymore because it would be probably just my wife. That's it. That's all that'll be here. None of my kids, for sure. Uh, Greed is the first sin, but pride is the great sin. And I don't know if you guys remember this. I did a message several uh, months ago, and it was pride is a killer, literally. 
Now, today, pride doesn't kill like it did back in the day, but pride is a killer. It kills relationships. It, kill, it kills children's and parents' relationships because we've got a political divide and we're letting the political divide infiltrate our family instead of just loving them and accepting them. It's killing relationships. And you know what it does? It destroys and splits and, and, dis- and wrecks the church. When pride comes into the church, it kills everything. It kills the movement of God. It kills the will of God. It kills everything of God because why? Pride was what cast down Satan. It's the sin that we need to walk away from and humble ourselves before the Lord. Sapphira was a knowing and willing participant in the sin as well as this blatant cover-up. I don't know if she had a good marriage or not. I know that she was obedient to her husband. We know this, though. They, decide, they tried to deceive God and tried to deceive the Holy Spirit, and it doesn't work out well. Here's the beauty of the story. I don't know if you're into this right now, but God is equal in the way that he judges. I love this. The man and the women, they both die. One didn't get favor. Oh, you're a woman or you're a man. You shouldn't. Just like he did it in the garden. They both got different punishments in the garden, but there was punishment equal. That's something that you need to understand. God sees us as co-partners and co-equal heirs to his throne, and that's what we see here. Honesty is extremely powerful, but really only a few of us can handle it. Or a few of you, I shouldn't put us as me part of that. Only a few can handle it. In my head, I see that movie. You can't handle the truth, but that's a whole nother sermon. <laughs> hey, I, I got lots of stuff in my brain. You should see how much I'm not saying right now. Dishonesty will ever inevitably be uncovered in time. This is what my wife has been preaching to me and my girls since the first day of our relationship, or maybe the first week she, until I told my first lie. Seriously. (laughs) Were you there? (laughs) And here's what we believe in our house, that at some point, truth is going to come out. And because of that, I try and live the best relationship with God and and the Spirit and Christ as I can, knowing that my wife is trying to do the same thing. There's no jealousy in our marriage. There's no, uh, you know, if somebody called and said, they did. Somebody called from church like 10 years ago. Your wife was out to dinner or lunch with some man. It was her friend Josh that worked with, right? I'm like, it's okay. She has a relationship with Christ, and she knows, as I know, that the truth is going to come out. Our kids know that. And church, you need to know that. The truth is going to come out. Verse 11 says, Great fear gripped the entire church and everyone who heard what happened. There was great fear. Again, this is the first time that we see church being called church. The gatherings were now called the way. This is where the ecclesia now kind of formulates in the, group, uh, in the church. And so this is that first time in Acts where the church is kind of called the church in itself. It's an awesome 
place to be. The church needs to get back to unity and honesty. And here's what God spoke to me today. This is new in my notes. For, for us to have revival, and, and, and I don't know if you've ever heard my sister talk. It's revival, 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 revival. I mean, that's all I hear. A revival. Who wants revival? Don't cheer yet. With the work of God to bring revival, he has to do a greater work of sin, with sin, because of a dishonest group of people that come to his church and are outside of the church. So if you want revival, it begins with us being honest and dealing with our sin correctly. Amen. There's got to be a greater work of sin and with dishonesty so that the revival can come within. Nobody's cheering now. So why, what's the purpose of honesty? Let me run through. I got three points here, three things, and they're all just God's word. They're not my points. They're God's word. Here's three things. Why, what's the purpose of honesty, and why do we, we need to be honest with God and man? Number one, without honesty, we won't be able to repent from all sin. Wow. Without being completely honest, I can't repent with all sin. First uh, John chapter uh, 1 verse 8 says, If we say that we don't have sin, we're deceiving ourselves and it, the truth is not in us. Unless we stop sinning and admit to ourselves our real sin motives, we won't be able to let them go. We are all trying to escape the fact that we are liars, cheaters, and sinners. We have this idea that I'm going to put on this show, I'm going to put on my makeup, I'm going to put on this mask, and I'm going to paint the picture that I'm good and innocent, that I'm generous, even when we're not. And that's what happened to me when I was locked up. I had an epiphany. I had a revelation. I had God speak to me in a very dark place saying, Jeff, you're guilty. And the day that you admit you're guilty, the day that you admit that you have sin and you have issues, that's the day that you will begin. And that day started when I heard that voice. And that was God. The realization that I'm deceiving myself is paramount. It's critical. It's, it's, it's fundamental. It's an element to draw you closer to God. That's why we're preaching about it. And unless you admit your sin, you won't be able to let it go. You won't be able to truly repent. Number two, we have to be honest in the order for God to change us. I don't know about you, but I'm on my knees this week. I was on my knees back here. I want to be changed. I still have a lot to give the kingdom of God, but I've got to start with myself, and I've got a lot of change. And I don't know if you're here today and you need to change. Maybe you don't want to change. Maybe you're kicking and screaming. But if you need change, it starts with being honest. It starts with being honest. You know, there's a 12 steps of AA. The zero step before you even get into the program is you got to be honest. You got to have a come to Jesus moment, and that's what's happening in the church today. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, the next verse in that same thing tells us that if we admit our sins, if we don't admit our sins, we can never be forgiven and changed. If we do admit our sins, great things can happen. Here's what it says. If then we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you need help, confess your sins. 
And he is faithful to forgive them and help you to become righteous, live a right life done by the Holy Spirit. Think about it. How can we ask God to forgive something we're not willing to admit? Makes zero sense. It's not possible because you haven't brought it to the table. He knows. He's waiting for you to say it. How can God cleanse a deep-seated heart with dirt and sin if we just keep holding it in? How can God fix that heart if you're holding on to that sin? You need to confess. And he is faithful to forgive and cleanse and bring us to a place of righteousness. If you truly want to be clean, reveal all your dirt before the Lord, a private conversation. You can come up here, you can do it at communion, and you can cleanse your heart and ask for forgiveness of whatever you've done and wherever you're held back. And he is faithful. And realize this, that God's love is not going to judge you. It says perfect love casts out all fear. You shouldn't be afraid to come before God. And here's the last one. Honesty brings great freedom. This is the element of faith. This is why it's an element. This is what brings us to faith, that I've got to be honest with who I am. Honest brings great freedom. Self-honesty coupled with God's truth allows us to be free. Listen to this verse. You guys have all heard these verses, but listen to this verse. It says, if you hold on to my teaching, if you hold on to my teaching, Jesus says, you shall know the truth. And the truth shall set you free. Yeah. Apart from these words, I have nothing to give you except a bunch of hot air and a life full of coffee. But when I make this part of my life, I have the opportunity to be dishonest or completely honest. And the truth is there's no in-between. Let's not act like there's any in-between. It's one or the other. God is or God isn't. You're honest or you're not honest. There's no in-between. A reality check, an honesty check. Do you hold to his teaching? Does the Holy Spirit got your heart? Are you allowing him to speak? This is the most important time of every service because it's taken us an hour to get to this place. Where finally you're listening to God. And yeah, maybe I'm rambling and I'm not saying that I'm not making points. I'm saying that maybe you just hear me talking, but this is when God works. This is when God moves. It's the last three minutes before the music. And here's what he's saying. In order for you to live an honest life, you must have a willing spirit, a repentant heart, and an obedient walk. I've got to say, Lord, give me the willingness to be honest today. Lord, I've got to repent of what I've been dishonest for the last day, week, month, decade. I was going to say millennial, but most of us haven't been alive that long. I've got to be willing I've got to be repentant, and I've got to be obedient. So you can come up before, and we can do communion and sing a song and receive the blessing. But if you don't walk out of here obedient, we're not really getting 
the point of the message. Integrity is being truthful to myself. Honesty is being truthful to other people. I'm trying to be honest with you today. Fred Rogers would say, who we know as Mr. Rogers, honesty is often very hard. Truth is often very painful. And I know some of you are going to have to have some painful conversations or dealings with truth if you really want to get right with God. But he says, but, but the freedom it can bring is worth trying. So today, as we get ready for communion, and as we sing this song of blessing upon you, the first thing that you have to do, if you're online, grab some juice and some sort of bread. We're going to do communion outside. We've got some for you. But here's what we need to do. We need to get honest. And maybe you don't have time to get honest before you get to it, but you need to commit to God like I did. Take an oath, God, I'm going to be honest. And if you can't, maybe you shouldn't do communion today. Maybe you should just hold back and do it on another day when you can get right. That's okay. Nobody's going to judge you. But here's what we're going to do. We're going to come before the Lord. We're going to take communion. And just say these words. Lord, I've been dishonest. And I'm emptying myself so that I can be honest with you today, right now, Lord. And let that be enough to get you through the day to live this day honest. And if it worked today, what do we do? Do it again tomorrow. Let's pray. Father, thank you for showing up. Holy Spirit, will you start to work right now? These are your words. Father, this is your heart. Father, this is a church online, outside, and indoors that is seeking Christ and living for the resurrection. And so, Father, we commit this to you. If there's someone online or if there's someone in this place or there's someone outside that doesn't know you, all they have to do is get honest for the first time and say, I need help, I need a Savior. And what you do is confess with your mouth, you believe in your heart, and you experience Christ as your Savior. And it goes like this. This is you, follow me. Forgive me, Lord, for I'm a sinner. And I've lived a dishonest life. Come into my heart. Come into my soul. And let me live a life for your kingdom. You died upon the cross for me. You rose again three days later for me so that I can live with you in eternity. I confess I need a savior. Holy Spirit, take over my mind, my heart, and my body to live with you now and until I meet you with eternity. We come to you, Lord, with all that we are in Jesus' name. Amen. Honesty is a blessing, and it will be a blessing to your family. Dishonesty will be a curse for generations. As we come before the communion today, come up with an honest heart and receive what Christ has for us.